Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to continue our exploration of the New Testament scriptures, looking at the term, the Son of God. And this is part of our current series entitled Important Prophecy Terms, and we're going through seven sets of terms, and we're in our first set here. So if you're joining us for the first time, welcome, and uh, you've you've missed quite a bit, I'll have to say, uh, looking at our worksheet, which the uh, announcer tells you you can get here at the radio station. You can download it for your own use. You can see that we've been over a lot of Scripture to develop a foundation of understanding of uh, the term, the Son of God. And we've gone over a number of different aspects of that, and you can you can listen to the podcasts at your leisure to kind of get caught up. But we are in um, a point right now where we are now using the Scriptures to show how the term the Son of God is being used. And we have done that by going through Matthew 16, where uh, it's finally revealed through the apostles when Jesus calls his apostles back into uh, the area of Caesarea Philippi and asks them, who do the people say that I am? And they've been out for a while going across uh, Israel, sharing the good news of the kingdom, that Jesus is here and he's ready to set up his kingdom if you'll simply accept him. And he calls them back in and they say, well, The people say that you are a lot of things. You're a prophet, you're a priest, you're Jeremiah, you're John the Baptist, um, uh, Elijah. There's all sorts of things that they believe that you are, but the one thing they do not believe you are is the Son of God, that you are the promised Messiah that that we read all through the Old Testament. They just did not believe it. So Jesus turns to, to the apostles and says, all right, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes the great profession. You are the son of God. You are the son of the living God, the promised Messiah. And Jesus then says to the 12 and is basically saying to us, to the world, on that profession that Peter just made, believing that I am the son of the living God, on that promise, on that profession of faith, I will build my church. In other words, anybody who makes that simple amazing, short profession of faith, a true profession of faith that Jesus Christ did come to this earth. Uh, He did minister. He did offer himself uh, as the Son of God, and we believe that he is the Son of God. He says, I will give you eternal life. I will save you from your sins uh, because of the shedding of my blood that's going to take place in a short time, and I'll mention that in a second. And then my glorious resurrection allows me to then offer you eternal life as I have eternal life, he said. And the point was that up until the point in Matthew 16, he had never 
mention to anyone that he was going to die, that he was going to be buried, that he was going to be gloriously resurrected on the third day. And that through that, through that faith, you would have eternal life. But right there in Matthew 16, he makes the great change from offering Israel the gospel of the kingdom, he would be the king of Israel, to an offer of grace or, or individual salvation, which he would then offer to anyone, to the world, to the Gentiles, and to the Jews. So a major change there. Then we looked at a couple of examples in Acts chapter 8, where Philip um, led the Ethiopian eunuch to salvation, and he asked to be baptized. And, and Philip basically said, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you can be saved. And he did. So we will see Philip. Uh, we will see the apostles. We will see this Ethiopian eunuch in heaven with us because they're part of the church. Then we went to Matthew, excuse me, we went to Acts 16, where we have um, Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and there's a, a miraculous jailbreak, as, as it were. <laughs> and the um, Philippian jailer uh, realizes what's happened here, and he looks at him and says, what must I do to be saved? And we see the same thing again that Peter talked about in Matthew 16, that um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch talked about in Acts 8, and that is simply believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you will be saved. So you see the importance of that. It's the Son of God equates to salvation, the Son of God equates to rewards. The Son of God equates to eternity with Jesus and with God the Father. So uh, it's all it's all good. Let's just look at it that way. It's all good. Uh, we see that. And then we're going to make a transition as we start our program today. And I mentioned uh, in our last program that we would start out in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. We'll get into Matthew 8. But Matthew chapter 4, and we're talking about even the demons recognize Jesus in his fleshly, carnal form here on the earth 2,000 years ago. They recognized him as the Son of God because they were spirits of the fallen angels. So they had this knowledge. They knew that he was the Son of God. And even though he was going to bring judgment on them, uh, through being the Son of Man, they recognized him as God. There wasn't any playing with terms here. They knew that he was the Son of God. So let's take a look at it. And this, this of course, let's go directly to the top guy. Let's go to Satan. And this is in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And, of course, the major reason for that baptism by John was to differentiate Jesus from John the Baptist. Because remember, a lot of people were following John, and Jesus was new. This was the very beginning of his ministry. And to authenticate who he was and what he was doing there, they heard a voice from heaven there on, at the Jordan that was from God, and it said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So it was a clear differentiation. So it's been, it's been announced, if you will, to the world that Jesus has come to set up his kingdom. So what happens? Satan immediately goes to work to stop this. And he does it through his best power tool, and that's temptation and lust. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye. And he uses these in the temptations of Christ. 
And of course, what he does is he lets him go through the wilderness for 40 days, 40 days in the wilderness, uh, short of water, short of food, tired, grouchy. You could imagine what you'd be like after 40 days and having been to Israel several times and seen what the wilderness looks like right there. It's a miserable place. So some place that just evokes nothing but negative thoughts, negative impressions, and you can imagine how difficult it was for him, but then again, he was God. But at the end there, and to show humankind the the greatest temptations, and of course the greatest temptations are, that are, are those that are brought upon you, presented to you when you are at your weakest point. So this is the epitome of testing a human, if you will, through these temptations. So we see this in Matthew chapter 4, and it says in verse 3, And the tempter, which is Satan, came and said to him, to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. So here is Satan basically questioning him. If you are the Son of God, he knows he is, but he's tempting him anyway. He knows the facts, but he's tempting him anyway by saying, if you are the Son of God. Then we come down to verse 6, and again with Satan. And he said to him, Satan said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. So he's tempting him again, tempting him again, the whole point being, if you are the Son of God. He never asks him, are you the Son of Man? He knows exactly who he is. And Satan, of course, is, remember, is a created being, but Satan is extremely powerful. Satan was one of the chief angels of God at the creation or uh, the beginning of creation. And then through temptation, through self-will, Satan, actually Lucifer, meaning light, Lucifer fell from grace from God, separated himself from God, and God separated himself from Satan and he became Satan. He went from Lucifer to Satan, the father of lies. So he's a very knowledgeable, very powerful someone, I should say someone to be respected because he's created like we're created. He's not like Jesus. He's not like God or the Holy Spirit. He has no omniscience. He doesn't know what the future holds except what has been revealed, and that's, of course, he knows the Bible. Uh, So here he is tempting God directly, and calling him, or stating, if you are the Son of God. So we see Satan and and Jesus uh, interacting directly here and the use of the term Son of God, the one who is the power, the the, the powerful one, but the one who uh, also will be the rewarder. So let's go now to Matthew 8. So we're, we're in Matthew. Just turn a few pages to the right to Matthew 8, and let's see what the second order of evil ones has, and that's the demons that possess, and we see that in several places in our um, Gospels. And in this particular place, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, and it says in verse 29, uh, well, let's go back to verse 28 for context. And when he, referring to Jesus, when he came to the other side of the, uh, into the country of the Gadarenes, so if you're looking at a map of Israel and you find in the northeast corner of Israel the Sea of Galilee, you look basically at the center of the Sea of Galilee and go right to the east to the coastline, 
And right there is the area of the Gadarenes. He said, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass that way. Verse 29, and they, referring to the demons possessing these men, saying, what business do we, referring to themselves, referring to themselves the demons, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So here is one of the clear, and it's un- <laughs> it's unfortunate that you have to use the demons to get the point across. But here are the demons who are diametrically opposed to Jesus, diametrically opposed to everything that is God. Their God is Satan. And they have made that eternal commitment to Satan And, of course, they will suffer an eternal punishment because of that. But it says, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And, of course, that time is the great white throne judgment when all of the evil um, that existed in the world from the fall in the garden with Cain all the way until the great white throne judgment, which takes place at the end of the millennial kingdom, at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. And this is when uh, evil, this is when sin, this is when Hades and death will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And at the end of the great white throne judgment will be eternity. And at that point, there will be no sin, there will be no death, And it will be just like it was in the Garden of Eden before the fall on the earth. And, of course, the new Jerusalem will have come down out of heaven, and God's place of of residence, if you will be, will be once again among his creation, among mankind, because he, he can come down now because man is sinless. God cannot be in the presence of sin That's why we've been pointing out in our Q&A for the last number of programs how God works through um, Jesus, uh, the pre-incarnate Jesus in the Old Testament, Jesus during his ministry, and then the Holy Spirit uh, subsequent to that to interact uh, directly and indirectly with humankind in in its fallen state. But once it's purified again, purified of sin, then God himself will once again do as he had wished in the garden to walk in the garden, to walk among men, to tabernacle among men. So we see that. Um, But the great white throne, to get back to the judgment point, that's what they're referring to here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. The demons know, they already know that there's going to be a judgment of them. And the evil angels, for instance, from the time before the flood, that came in and tried to destroy God's creation by um, uh, bringing in a demonic DNA, the seed of Satan, if you will, that was talked about in uh, Genesis chapter 3. Those angels that came down and infected, if you will, and tried to destroy God's creation, they are in chains right now. They have a special punishment, but they're all... All of these evil angels, uh, a third actually, the Bible tells us in Revelation, a third of the angels um, are part of this group, are are this group that's going to be um, chained up or uh, ultimately punished 
at the great white throne judgment. And that's what they're referring to here. And even though the Son of God, excuse me, the Son of Man is the one that's going to be doing the judging because he brings judgment, they're referring to him basically as God. They recognize him for who he is. There's no there's no doubt about it, as they say. Let's go to uh, Luke uh, in the last few minutes here before we go to our Q&A. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, let's, uh, let's go to verse 41. And here's uh, a, a version of this in the Gospel of Luke. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 41, demons also were coming out of many. So he's talking about another demonic experience. Demons also were coming out of many shouting, you are the son of God. But rebuking them, he, Jesus, would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. They knew him to be the Christ. So he was there on the earth in his earthly ministry preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the to the earth, but he did not want the demons to say anything about it so that these people, the Israelites, would hear them. So he rebuked them to be quiet. But you see who they refer to him as? The Son of God. Just as Satan did, as we saw back in Matthew chapter 4, just as the demons did in the Gadarenes there in Matthew chapter 8, and now we're seeing another set uh, that, Uh, came out of many, it said, these demons are saying matter-of-factly, you are the Son of God, because he knows, they know who he is as God, um, uh, being made in the likeness of a man here on the earth. But they saw through the likeness of man and saw to who he really was. So how important that is to understand that even the demons recognize him as the Son of God, yet Israel would not, because I, th- I believe that Jesus, by rebuking them here and t- telling them not to speak out loud because they knew him to be the Christ, that he wanted Israel to recognize who he was by his testimony and the testimony of his apostles and his other disciples, not to have the demons do it, because that could easily be misconstrued. So, But nevertheless, since God created everything, um, he is the Son of God. So we, we see this from not only a Christian church perspective that we saw in Matthew 16 uh, with Peter, then we saw in, in Matthew 16, then we saw with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, then we saw with the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 that just a profession, a belief that he is the Son of God is what's required by God to, uh, to be saved and to have eternal life. And then we saw where even the demons recognized Jesus as the Son of God, even though they could not be saved. They just knew the facts as they were. And then finally, under the uh, Son of God heading in our program, I want us to look at Matthew 26. So we're going to do that in our next program where we're going to shift to um, the, the crucifixion time of Christ and we're going to look at the Son of God, Son of Man contrast um, relative to the Pharisees. And I want us to uh, spend some time doing that. So we'll be in Matthew 26, and we'll also look at Acts chapter 7 in our next program. But now we want to transition, as we always do, over to our Q&A time. 
And we're talking about a question um, over the last number of programs. It's actually turned into a mini teaching series, if you will, from Rich in Indian Springs because it's such a good one. And Rich has done a lot of homework to point out that the um, if the restrainer of evil, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way before the tribulation begins, then how can people be saved during the tribulation? And he specifically gives us Revelation 20, verse 4, which d- describes the tribulation saints. And we, uh, in our last program, we were talking about we're now in the tribulation period. We're in the first half of the tribulation talking about uh, whether or not people can be saved, and if so, how does that brought about? And basically we pointed out how God has now re-offered, re-offered the gospel of the kingdom. Remember the gospel of the kingdom was offered to Israel the first time, and they refused it, and therefore he changed his ministry, his, his good news, from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace. He basically temporarily, and I want to emphasize the word temporarily, temporarily turned his back on Israel, and that's where he is today. His back is temporarily turned against Israel, and his face, Jesus' face, is now turned to the church where he is offering the gospel of grace, simple faith, And that's what we've been talking about uh, with uh, our Son of God portion of our teaching in each of our last number of programs. Simple faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God uh, would would bring you eternal life with him, and that's the gospel of grace. But now that the church is taken out of the way, remember the rapture of the church happens just before the tribulation starts, because when the tribulation starts and the Antichrist is revealed, there are no righteous people on the earth because otherwise, if there were any righteous, they would have been taken in the rapture. So these are all unrighteous people, but God is a loving God. Even under the worst of circumstances, he's a loving God, and he then re-offers, re-offers the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, the Son, uh, the Son of God is going to come and set up his kingdom on the earth as had been promised all through the Old Testament and had been verbally offered 2,000 years before by Jesus to Israel, but they refused him. So we talked in our last program about how does he bring this reoffering of the gospel of kingdom about during the tribulation, and we read the passage in Revelation 11 that told us all about the two Jewish witnesses. We don't know who they are. You know, some people believe that it's Moses and Elijah because of the Mount of Transfiguration experience in um, Matthew 17 as an example. But we don't know that for sure because the Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that they're going to be two very, very powerful people in Israel, and no one can kill them. And if you try to kill them, they will kill you with fire from their mouth, as we're, we're told in the, in the Bible. We don't know exactly how that will work, but nevertheless, they will be very, uh, they will be feared, and they will prophesy. They will prophesy in Israel for three and a half years, and we're told that specifically. And then at the end of the three and a half years, their purpose on the earth that God had given them to witness to Israel for the first half of the tribulation will have been accomplished, and then God will allow the Antichrist to kill them and they will lie on the streets for three and a half days, and then God will say, come up here. 
and they will be raptured to heaven. At the same time that the two Jewish witnesses are in Israel prophesying the gospel of the kingdom, there will also be 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and they're described to us in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. And these are pure Jewish males that receive the Holy Spirit and begin prophesying. Now, we don't know if they're raised up by the two Jewish witnesses or God just miraculously does does this. I believe the latter. I believe that these 144,000 evangelists are probably scattered around the world because that's where the Jews are now. They're scattered in just about every, they're represented in just about every country in the world. They know the local languages. They know the local um, customs and so forth. And you can just imagine they're ready-made. This is my opinion anyway. They're ready-made for uh, being evangelists, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit to take the gospel of the kingdom to wherever they are in the world, 144,000 of them, 12,000 from each of the 12 Jewish tribes. So they're on the earth in the first half, and that therefore tells us that the earth dwellers during the first half of the tribulation can accept the offer of salvation presented by these Jewish evangelists. Now, we we have to also uh, understand that in addition to these Jewish evangelists, obviously there are going to be caches or collections, if you will, of Bibles that people left behind purposely for people during the tribulation. There's going to be other literature. There's going to be the movies that were made, if indeed they're available, and they probably will be shown in secret, just like they did under the Roman Empire um, because of you know the threat of death at the hands of the Antichrist and the false prophet. But there will be ways to, um, to find out about the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. But in person, there will be two witnesses in Israel and 144,000 Jewish evangelist males scattered all over the world evangelizing. So then that begs the question, what is the difference in the tribulation period about the working of the Holy Spirit in people's lives? Because no longer does the Holy Spirit come in to a person to permanently indwell them like he did with the church. Remember, the church is gone. So the Holy Spirit returns to the Old Testament function of coming on righteous people. This is during the tribulation now. The Holy Spirit does like he did in the Old Testament by coming on righteous people as long as they remain righteous. If they turn their back and go back into iniquity, practicing sin, then the Holy Spirit will leave them. Unlike the church where the Holy Spirit never leaves you, during the tribulation, the Holy Spirit can leave you if you turn your back on God, turn your back on righteousness, and practice iniquity. So in our next uh, Q&A, we're going to look at a number of uh, Old Testament passages to show us how the Holy Spirit functioned in the Old Testament, which will tell us exactly how he functions during the reoffer of the gospel of the kingdom during the tribulation. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. 
Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, the basics from Consider the Ant. Simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.